When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Knockback, the retro and nostalgia podcast is brought to you by, well, you. If you want to learn how to support our show, go to patreon.com slash Media. Greetings and salutations. Welcome back to Knockback. My name is Colin Moriarty. I'm joined as always by my brother, Dagan, Mr. Hoshi Moriarty. Dagan, thank you for joining me today. How are you, my friend? Oh, my gods. Yeah, I said gods. Gods, yeah. Oh, my you gods. You said it. Oh, my gods. Oh, indeed. my gods. How's your, uh, how's your life going? We're, so, I, I don't like giving a peek behind the curtain too much, but okay. we're really, not really even we, but I'm really eager to take some time off because I have other things that I need to do with the game games my game studio cool so i'm trying to carve out like a solid few weeks in december to just write and focus on um the role-playing game that we're making and because i like really need to tend to some stuff there so we're recording these episodes earlier and then we're going to be putting them up because we never want to miss a week never so it's it kind of feels good doing this because i feel like we're going to do a few more of these too and every time i feel like we do one we're gonna be like we just bought ourselves like a little bit of time you know like it's totally worth the effort up front to buy ourselves time in a little a little bit uh, later Absolutely. so i just wanted to give people you know a little bit of the peek behind the curtain you're hearing we're this working probably... hard for you in other words right but you're right, right though the padding feels good not only be nice to have a, a month off of where we already have the content completed that feels great and a little r&r but just having that padding you know how it is it just feels like a, a weight off your shoulders if you will definitely definitely not that this is i mean it's work but we love doing it for you guys. Kyle, I have something to make you very proud. This is my opening yeah, story, sort of, uh, what do you, you didn't call it. We, we thought of another expression rather than icebreaker. Oh, like stretching our legs. Stretching yeah. our legs, warming yeah. up. But right. you're going to be proud. This one is going to speak to you. And uh, this, this really cracked me up yesterday. So taking a page from famous, brilliant, possibly genius YouTuber, Kit Boga. Mm-hmm. Now, a, a channel designed to aggravate telemarketers. Fair enough? Fair description? Yeah, definitely. Okay. So if yeah. you guys don't know, Kyle turned me on to Kit Boga over a year ago. Then I showed my family and everybody thought it was hilarious. So make a long story short, it's sort of a Kit Boga cross Helene story, right? So I come down from work yesterday, end of the workday around six o'clock. We're going to p- carve pumpkins with the family. So go in the kitchen to see what Helene needs to get ready for our nightly task here of, of doing the jack-o'-lanterns with the kids. And Helene's on the phone and she's on the landline, which is already kind of a, a weird thing. And she's saying over and over again, but wait, is this Jen Vigiano or Vecchio? Whatever she's saying, right? It sounds like she's talking to any number of possible mothers in the neighborhood on an adjoining cul-de-sac, right? 
I just think she's talking to somebody in the neighborhood, a mom, a, a contemporary of ours, a friend. And she, but she's saying over and over again, but I don't understand. The, the, <laughs> the, the caller ID says Jen Vecchio. Is this Jen Vecchio? And she's saying it over and over again. I'm like, what is happening here? And I'm trying to listen in and figure it out as I'm cleaning the mud off the pumpkins. And saying it over and over again. So my best guess is that she's talking to either her mom or one of her sisters, and they're referring to, you know, an acquaintance on YouTube, a childhood friend that they grew up with. So, not on right. YouTube, on, on Facebook, rather. Right, right, right. Talking about somebody that they, they met or they're having some sort of exchange with on social media. But the more I'm listening, the more that's not the case. So finally, Helene, I hear Helene saying, well, it's about $10,000. And she's saying that over and over again. Then I finally figure out what's happening here. She says, hold on, I got, I got call waiting. I got call waiting. It's another power company. It's another utility company. And then she's saying, why? Why? So apparently, Helene is talking to some gentleman, a seeming, a very polite seeming Indian gentleman that's on the caller ID referring to himself as Jen Vecchio. And <laughs> turns out that he's saying, no, Jen Vecchio is my boss. This is my boss. And then she, he's asking what your current electric bill rate is. And Helene's saying it's about $10,000 a month. And then he's saying, I guess he's kind of rolling with the punches or whatever. And then she says, well, hold on. I got call waiting. I got another utility company that wants to talk to me. And he's saying, no, don't get it. No, don't get it. He's screaming to her, no, don't get it. Wow, totally Kit Boga. Yeah. yeah, so she's just totally taking a page out of Kit Boga's book. Maybe That's she amazing. was feeling inspired or whatever. Yeah, definitely. Just That's keep awesome. stringing the guy. She was getting so aggravated. She was aggravating me. I, so I can't even imagine what this guy's saying. And apparently, the more she's going and the more she's acting, acting like this is really happening, and the more he's trying to just stay on, keep her on the phone, the more aggravated he's getting, the more cracked up she's getting. I was like, wow, this is amazing. My wife, she just started a YouTube channel. <laughs> And Good you're the first her. person I and you're the first person I, I I thought of, but apparently this guy wanted us to change our utility company. I'm I'm assuming maybe if the phone call got far enough, it would have been like, let's get the credit card number. We're gonna take care of you. We're gonna get you a better rate. You know whatever it is, which is actually kind of tricky and actually a little frightening because this area in Philly, we we grew up with Lilco, right? Long Island Lighting Company on Long Island. Out here it's Pico, but Pico has a number of, I guess, they fancy themselves as environmentally savvy power companies. And we're always getting offers, actually legit offers to switch power companies. It's like a thing out here. So you could jump with this one, then next year you jump with this one for a better rate. And you, it's almost like switching sanitation companies, right? You get, get the vying against each other. So it's interesting if this company, if it wasn't on the up and up, that they're dialed into this region's, that's a real thing in this region. So... It is interesting. You got to be careful out there because now they might even have that sort of intel, you know, where it's like, okay, well, southeastern Pennsylvania, this is what they 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 really do change their electric companies all the time. It's a thing. So that's a great way to get people, all, you know, off their toes, off balance, and get their credit card numbers or whatever. So you got to be I, careful out there, man. It's pretty insidious. No, it definitely is. I mean, that's why. I I make this joke to Dustin sometimes, where I, I think I come up with these great ideas and like really earnestly present them as if they're like as if no one has ever thought about it before and i do it a lot i i make the joke about how we're gonna do it i think for the next year but like video game drafts like where you you draft teams like that's fantastic. but you draft you draft like 
games and then maybe Metacritic scores and you're trying to compete throughout that year to see who like can pick the best games and the best people Metacritic don't scores do that yet no they do no oh, they, they do. do do it okay, but, okay. but the point is, is I brought that up earnestly like dead ass being like isn't that an awesome idea and then Dustin was like dude like I need to just like rattled <laughs> off like seven different companies that already do that and I'm like that oh all right like so something I would do yeah so so it's a yeah it's a it's a uh <laughs> it does but it's a similar kind of situation and and uh with the prank call thing because when i was in california i i did a few times try to bait these people in the conversations that i can ne- like you know that you get a voicemail and you call them back and they just never answer so it's like okay i guess this isn't gonna work but then i then it was not only until a couple years later where i found out that yes everyone already knows that this shit exists and does it really well and encounters them and and all of that so anyway <laughs> today's episode is brought to you by angie Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs and projects done well. Let me tell you, there's the version of it where you try to do something at home, and then there's a version of it where you have someone help you, you watch them do it the right way, and you go, thank God I didn't try to do that myself. I have fully done things around the home that I think look good, and then a bang in the night, and I wake up to a shelf collapsing, a painting falling off the wall. Like it, I've, I've seen it all go south. I own a home, and I can tell you... I know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Whatever your home project, big or small, indoor or outdoor, you can Angie that and connect with skilled professionals to get the project done well. Right now, one of my wish lists is I want a bike for my condo in Milwaukee and I would love to rig it up on a pulley in the ceiling because I have one of those like lofted ceilings, but I'm so scared to try that on my own. Angie has 20 years of home experience and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app. Answer a few questions and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I.com. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Dave, today's topic is an interstitial topic for us in this run of shows that we're watching for Battlestar Galactica. So we've done an ep- of the reimagined Battlestar Galactica beginning in 2004, 2003, 2004 with the, the miniseries in the season one, season two, season three. Now, we've done all three seasons, and now we're to Razor. And Razor is one of what is basically three interstitials for Battlestar Galactica, the other being The Plan, which I've actually never seen entirely. Oh, That's after this, after the fourth season. Okay. And then, um, of course, the miniseries itself, which was its own thing. So I am eager to watch this. It's embedded on Peacock at the end of season three. So it says it's 21 episodes. Don't be fooled. If you're watching season three, it's yes, not 21 great. episodes. I'm it's 20 episodes. Razor yeah. is the, is the movie. And, and I remember this when it came out because um, I had graduated college. It was the fall of 2007 and I was working at IGN when this came out. And so I was watching the show as it was airing at this point. 
And it's the perfect kind of lead in to the fourth season, which I think is really good. And this answers some interesting questions that we might have. And I think is a really good example of universe building, by the way, and focusing on interesting characters. Admiral Kane is an amazing character. And and uh, this Kendra Shaw character that they bring in is also a great character. And we learn a little bit about the experience of the Pegasus from multiple angles, eight months apart as... The Pegasus is under Lee's control, Lee Adama's control, but also after the attack from the Cylons and what the Pegasus did to survive and how it survived. Because I don't even think that they explicitly go into how the ship survived in the regular show. It doesn't make any sense. They were networked, and so they shouldn't have been able to survive. But they were. we now figure out that they were basically at a shipyard and not networked, and so they were able to get away. But this hour and a half or so production is i think really awesome and at the height of what i think battlestar is capable of and what i like about this too is that it feels a little different the editing's a little different the intro's different it's cool like it starts right away with like uh with kendra talking and like it just says razor on the screen and the fee it just feels different it doesn't feel standard it feels a little bit like rogue one to me where it's like oh this is this isn't a tv show or something this is Right. So, so talk to me a little bit about your thoughts on Razor. I was really looking forward to this one, Kyle. So flesh this out for me a little bit. Just back in historical context, mm-hmm. let's go back to 2007, the Sci-Fi Network days. This Razor film actually did come be in between seasons three and season four, correct? Yes. That, so was, the, I'm, that I'm, was the airing order. Right. So okay. I'm, I'm making sure now, but season three was October 2006 to March 2007. And then Razor was November 2007. And then season four was April 2008. 2008. Okay. Okay. So that makes sense. Okay. So for clarity out there. So for you guys who haven't seen actually to start with, if you guys haven't seen Battlestars, I would say especially seasons two, seasons three, and of course Razor itself, don't, don't watch this because there's too many spoilers in the conversation referring to both seasons and the film itself. Oh yeah, definitely not. Don't watch. that that's great insight just because it's the same thing with the miniseries where like you shouldn't jump into the first season without ju- watching the miniseries for great you're, point you're, you're missing everything if you yeah you that. need You'll that no- texture right exactly yeah. like so you should watch the miniseries season one season two season three razor season four i agree yes yes i think so too yeah and, and I, but you know, what's I interesting really looking forward to this oh yeah i'm sorry go ahead yeah please, please. yeah yeah no um did you want to interject anything before i, I was start? just gonna say I, I it's worth noting that i think you some people suggest you watch razor in chronological order a little earlier but i suggest watching them just in the order they were released that's that just the does way make to do sense that's razor make sense in one yeah, context because it does rubber band you back and then bring you back again so anyway i just wanted to throw that out there. yeah anyway. it's it's actually a little confusing because this story the razor story besides jumping back in time to the first Cylon War, it takes place in contemporary time in the seasonal timeline, but somewhere in the space of season two, in between certain episodes. So keep that in mind. Even though you're done with season three, you're jumping back a little bit in the contemporary timeline to season two, and you're setting it during, if I'm not mistaken, the current day, in quotes, the story taking place during Commander Lee Adama's first month or so at the helm of the Pegasus, Battlestar Pegasus, after Kane's death slash assassination, okay? And spoilers start here, at the hands of the number six copy, Gina, right? So that whole thing takes place then, 
And what I love about this, what I love about Razor is that we got such a fascinating character in Admiral Kane of the Battlestar Pegasus in season two. And this fleshes out a lot of her origins, a lot of her backstory, and a lot of the, the main storyline of season to season Battlestar Galactica, especially season two, but also into season three. And so there's a lot of shedding of light and stuff that we already saw and a lot of explanation, which, which was amazing. And of course, it starts with Kane. And then as Colin already mentioned, her sort of protege, who is the Kendra Shaw, Shaw character, who it's amazing, Kyle, that you brought up Rogue One already because I thought of her a lot. I watched, the, I watched it the movie twice because, again, you're jumping around in timelines and I wanted to make sure I was watching it in contextual order as far as what we've already seen. But it really occurred to me, like, this is a lot, this is like the Jin Erso character in Rogue One in that we know mm. we could pretty much tell that this is a character who's not going to make it. This character is going to die at some point. But what does she mean to the overall story, the overall arc, and what does she mean to Admiral Kane's thread and her story? And it's very satisfying, I have to say. It, it's like kind of a weight off your shoulders in a way because it kind of puts, even though you love the Admiral Kane character, everybody loves the Admiral Kane character, so much to say about this and we'll get into it, but it puts the whole storyline with her to rest. It puts it to bed once and for all because even when season two of the show ends, there's a lot of questions as to why things happened, how it happened, where did Kane come from? Um, we know some things, but everything's kind of like at 50% intervals. We don't know the other half of, of everything. So this, what, what is this way in like a buck 45 or so? This yeah, hour and like 45 that, yeah. minutes really gives us a lot of texture and a lot of satisfying answers, especially to the Kane character, but other stuff as well that we'll talk about. Yeah, uh, indeed it tells two stories. The story of Kane from right before the attacks by the Cylons through when she, well, not even really when she's murdered. It's actually kind of stops uh, before that. And then it tells the story of Lee's time before he became Fat Lee Adama and <laughs> like this daring strike they went on, which I think is really cool, too, because it opens up some of the lore in the movie, in the in the show. And I love seeing the old Cylons, which I'm excited to talk to you about because it's fucking awesome. And I was I, I was so I had like goosebumps. I remember when I first saw it, I was like, this is so cool. Uh, what a cool idea. So I want to focus on, I guess, these two things separately. The the line with Lee Adama and then as like with the old Cylons. And then, of course, the line with the Battlestar itself when it leaves. And I guess we'll go in sequential order in terms of the story. As we noted, we learn how Pegasus survives. And, I, and this is the kind of stuff that I love because... In, in lore and why no matter how much the Cylons planned and how much they infiltrated the fleet and how much they infiltrated the colonies, they, there were certain things they could not account for that eventually they had to just execute. And there were certainly ships unaccounted for. And, and you would have to assume that they knew that a ship like this would be unaccounted for. But it was, I think at the score, I think they say it was Scor the Scorpio shipyards. And by the way, I like this stuff too, because this is a realistic thing that would happen in the future. It is very weird that we still build spaceships on the ground and it's way cheaper and easier, simpler, more rational to build them in orbit around planets. And in the future, my suspicion is that we will mine asteroids and then literally build spaceships in orbit and they will never touch an atmosphere yeah. from life to death. And 
So this kind of explores that and in orbit around this planet. Yeah, maybe this right. is the planets that particular planet Scorpios or Scorpion or whatever they call it. Maybe that's their industry is the shipbuilding. So they have all of their networks down as they're redoing their ship. And it's important to note that the Pegasus is a very sophisticated ship compared to the Galactica, which is the reason why the Galactica survived, because it wasn't networked. It was basically a museum, as we learned in the first season. So what did you think about learning just a tad about Pegasus, where it was and getting maybe a little bit of insight? Because it's like precious morsels of life before the attacks and what the structure of the colonies were before the attacks. And we don't see very much. We hear a little bit like we know there are professional sports teams and we know a little bit about what's going on in Caprica because we, we go back there several times. But we don't really see what's going on on other planets or the realities of very many other people. So it's just cool to see just a little flash in time. And again, a very Rogue One-like flash in time that's actually far less consequential in some way than Rogue One was to the story of Star Wars. So how would you feel about getting that kind of early look at Pegasus? Yeah, it was super cool because, you know, in season two, again, we see Pegasus, we hear tales. I think Kane herself tells the story of we were attacked by the Cylons. They launched four or five nukes. We managed to escape but we never get the explanation. It was a really cool image seeing the Battlestar sort of docked against that gigantic um, shipyard. And I guess I guess the idea is that it was making that shipyard was creating, I guess, um, the Raptors and the Vipers. Right. Is that how is that is that how it would work or whatever other equipment the ship needed? Yeah, I assume it's like a I, yeah, I, I think they're just like dry docked. Yeah, to, right. To exactly. get oh, right, 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 right. Exactly. Right. right. Which is really, which was really cool, and there was a good context into how things work in that in that space. And then again, knowing that there were 120, about 120 of these battle stars at one time throughout the ages, and um, again, yeah, seeing some explanation as to even before the attack, what happened, how the attack happened, the way that the Cylons seemed to have them by the balls, and that they were able to escape because of the blinding light from the nukes at the rate they couldn't really the. Uh, the base stars were attacking, but apparently the raiders couldn't see, couldn't get a beat on them and didn't know they weren't destroyed. So they were able to escape by jumping into, you know, by jumping without coordinates, basically. Yeah, blindly. You know, even yeah, though blindly she was jumping. warned, mm-hmm. you know, you could jump right into his son. And she's like, get the hell. It doesn't matter. We got to go. We got to go type of thing. Another, you know, again, like some explanation to the Kane character and how, you know, quote unquote crazy she is or how like the whole philosophy is like. By any means necessary, you know, and I love, you know, what you said too, Kyle, very important point that it is, um, Leah Dama's voyage mission at the helm, but it's a very specific mission that he's going on in that first month and that Admiral Adama is sort of at his side guiding him through that whole thing. But also the fact of not only do we get a lot of sort of connecting of the dots for the Kane character, but it's important to note too that we get some additional explanation and origins for the Admiral Adama character, which is really fascinating. Around, around the same time, you know, sort of towards the end of the first Cylon War, flashing back. But it was it was amazing. I love seeing the Pegasus again in season two. The Pegasus was such a treat because you don't even you don't know there's going to be any other existing surviving battle stars, giant space battleships at that point. And it's, you know, the the Pegasus, like the Galactica, becomes another character. So it was just cool to get more of it. With Pegasus, I think, well, with Razor, rather, in regard to Pegasus, I think that there are certain things that they explore with Admiral Kane that, like you said, gives texture to the character. And what's interesting about the ending of it with Adama is that he's not really in judgment of her at all. He kind of says, like, well, 
in so many words, like, well, we don't really know what we would have done in this particular situation, but Kane's whole stance is different. And I think the reason that Kane's stance is different from Adama is because, and Adama says it, like he had the president in quotes in his face the entire time. There were civilians with them the entire time. They were alone. And when they found their civilians, they basically took advantage of them and abandoned them. And so they start at different points. And I like that Adama kind of acknowledges Admiral Adama kind of acknowledges that I guess it's commander now again, but he acknowledges that this was a much more gray situation than it seems. Kane is not the evil character that you think there's more texture to this. And I think the most important aspect of the story and one of the most important things you see is that Kane was taken advantage of by that number six, very similar to the way Baltar was and plays on the sexuality and all of that that is built into that model and that it demystifies in some way what happened to Baltar because you realize that there might have been quite a few scenarios where this number six was doing what she was doing with others and taking advantage of them and maybe Baltar was the most important or most consequential and it's not to justify the incredible ends that they go to to that number six they rape and torture her in fact Thorne their interrogator comes back. It's actually really cool to see him again. It's because that's such a haunting character. That guy's really interesting. Uh, the guy who plays him, which is a uh, Fulvio Ciceri, I think his name is or something like that, but interesting character actor. So it's interesting okay. to see him back as well. So it doesn't obviously justify the heinousness, but you wonder like what happened here? And because six kills Admiral Kane and Admiral Kane looks like she accepts it when it's happening. Right? So, Yep. We get a little bit more of that texture and the texture is, is that they were in a relationship, a sexual personal relationship with each other and Kane got got. And I think that made her into the razor, so-called razor, as she always uses that reference that they had seen. Not to say that she wasn't hard. They they display that she was a hard ass beforehand. Sure. sure. When Kendra comes on the ship, they fuck with her just to fuck with her oh, and awesome. all of that. But I think it brings out the darkness in her later on to when she says, and I wrote this down, Admiral Adama is about kind of survival and figuring out, finding a path forward to survive. She says, quote, war is our imperative, revenge, payback. It's the only alternative our enemies left us, end quote. It's a totally different situations that they find themselves in. And I think a lot of it starts with that loneliness in the beginning. They had no one else. So when they encountered what they thought, what, what, what were stray passengers, for instance, on other abandoned ships, they didn't see them as anything worth saving because they had already established their mission, which was different than Adama's. So what do you think about that, about the inclusion of Six and kind of the texture that we get, as you said, about uh, Admiral Kane in terms of maybe understanding her motives a little bit better, although... I don't know that it totally humanizes her, nor is it, uh, nor do I think is that really the intent. Sure. No, I think you got a lot of great points. I mean, what was cool about it is back in season two, if you remember, when we meet Kane and we meet the Pegasus fleet and we get on board the Pegasus and we see how those people are treating their captured Cylons and how br- the level of brutality versus the way the Galactica fleet under Admiral Adama treats Cylons, tries to get tries to draw answers out of them, try, you know, approaches it with kid gloves or tries to be, even though there's a great anger there and great animosity and distrust, try very much 
along the lines of Adama in general, you know, trying to be humane as humane as possible, you know, trying to with under the strategy of protecting his people. That's that's the entire thing, not the retribution and not the vengeance. But when we see again, we see Cain and her people and how they treat the Cylons and how, you know, they're brutally beaten. And I think it's insinuated that the six proxy copy, the Gina character is raped and just treated like a complete. And we see Kane saying it like you have to strip them of everything. You have to basically just completely like destroy them, shame them, that whole thing. And we see them doing it. But we don't get full explanation for it. In fact, if you guys remember back to season two, we see the Hilo and chief character try to save six and they're almost killed for it. They're, they're almost, you know, they're brought to the, they're almost executed for it. So now we get, a, you know, now we get some understanding into why Kane is doing that again, because the Gina character was somebody in her, in the fleet, in her trust, in her circle of trust, who she had a personal relationship with too. And of course the Kendra character, the, the Kane protege character is the one that brings it to light. And then we see Kane's anger and her, her bloodlust and her stopping at nothing, that vengeance, that retribution, that, you know, again, that like cold, heartless, seemingly heartless and calculated approach that she has. And, you know, learning even more about it, that the whole thing, you know, that virtually that by any means mentality and that strategy and that sometimes that whole thing of sometimes we need to leave our people behind so that we can go on so that we can continue the fight. The whole thing for her is the fight. The whole thing for her is to destroy the Cylons, to get back at them. And, you know, whereas it's a different, a different tact with Adama. And I love the way those two fly in the face of each other, not just during the se- season two, but now again, during Razor, it's a reminder. And the way all the characters play a part in that, Lee, Kara, Kendra, um, the Kurt, the XOs, the various XOs and all of that. And, you know, the fact that Kane at the, at the core of it, Colin, I want to get into this with you later on. Maybe it's not time yet, but she seems haunted. She seems like somebody who had to change herself, that had to kind of harden her heart, that froze out her own heart. But she speaks of winning so that she be, can become human again. Someone that abandoned mm. their humanity, but maybe that plans on getting it, getting it back again once everything's said and done, once they mm. achieve their ends. That's the really heartbreaking thing about this character. That, And I think... You know, that, that, that even though you see the brutality, you see the sort of that, it's not, you know, that seemingly heartless, bitterly cold, very decisive, the vicious efficiency, but that it's kind of a, a stance that she embraced as a means to an end. And that at the end of all of this, she wants to return. She says she wants to re- become human again. So that, that she really does feel at her deepest core that this is the only way to beat this enemy and it's a heart it's a heartbreaking thing when you realize it's maybe not something that she willingly lost it's something that she willingly put aside so maybe in peacetime she could get it back again super amazing well i like character i i think so too and i i think there's a really important scene with her xo early on where they establish this about her kind of because it's before the attack she's like on a treadmill and they're talking about, you know, getting some time away and vacationing. Obviously, it's a different time. No one has any idea it's a threat uh, or that a threat is looming. And 
and she it, it shows that she's bottled up and doesn't she's in her work she doesn't want sure. and i kind of understand that i appreciate when people are like you want to come and hang out and i'm like i don't want to i i kind of i appreciate it you know and she and she was kind of a, a similar person and i think that's what makes the betrayal by her model six mm. so staggering to her and i think why it bubbles up this absolute rage in her because i think to your point something that we don't are maybe i'm sure there's some fan fiction or something but we don't really know what happened with Admiral kane like anything about her but we do know that they went out of the out of their way to at least have a scene spend a few minutes establishing her social distance from everyone and that they're there there's nothing for her to even do because they're they're at a dry dock right that's what the guy was saying and they obviously sever the dry dock and leave when the silence come, but no one is going to anticipate that that happens. And so I really dig that they took the time to do that because, and they show that she keeps everyone kind of at arm's length. But when that number six comes in Gina and they, she kisses her on the cheek and holds her hand. And as we've said in the past, and I, I think one of the things that I think is really cool about Battlestar Galactica's overall ethos is a sort of, removal of sexual barriers we see that in bathrooms we see that sure. with sir we see that with the way people hit each other and punch each other and stuff like that it's not really weird for a man to punch a woman in a fight right yeah for they instance. get box right sleeping quarters right they share right. sleeping quarters exactly so them being like lovers from a let's say lesbianic point of view is not really like that interesting what's interesting because and it wouldn't be that interesting to that people in that universe is what i'm saying What's interesting sure. is that someone had breached this circle and allowed her to become vulnerable and took advantage of her. And she dies, I think, before anyone really understands that, that there might be people on there that know and there might be whispers. But as they, they point out, she also cuts everyone off from the comms traffic immediately. So no one knows anything either on her ship, which is also a really important thing that we had not understood before, that... They don't have any contact with anyone. They whatever they know is what she tells them. Right. And so you can understand based on all of this that people would run through a wall for her. And it's interesting because Odama is also someone that people would run through a wall for. But they're working from very different philosophies. And you were bringing up the, the, the line where she was with Thorne, the interrogator. And she says, quote, I want you to really test its limits. End quote. She immediately dehumanizes the six which of course it's not human and she says quote this war is forcing us all to become razors end quote so she takes this betrayal very seriously and what's interesting is that she's stopped hey drew scott here and i'm jonathan scott reminding you that life's better with a home policy from american family insurance they can help you get just the right protection at just the right price and help you save when you bundle home and auto Kind of like Goldilocks and the Three Bears. It'll be just right for you. We love a custom build. American Family Insurance. Insure carefully. Dream fearlessly. Get a quote and find an agent at AmFam.com. Products not available in every state. Visit AmFam.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin. The next thing I want to ask you about is what we hear from Fisk in Season 2, which is that the original XO was killed. Now, we see the original XO. And we see how that happened. He refuses to put forth orders that seem suicidal and they end up being suicidal. They cost the ship most of their Vipers, over 100 people on their already skeleton crew, which is why when they encounter the civilian fleet, they, they basically 
pillage it oh. for people and material. So it starts this cascading effect, this decision. But we see that she straight up takes his own sidearm and shoots him in the head uh, on the bridge in front of everyone. <laughs> and um, you can see how Fisk, who I think is a really interesting character as well. And we, I really love his interactions with Saul during season two. That's how we learn a lot about the cilia and all the things that go on. And yeah. And Fisk is kind of like getting drunk and telling all this story. So what did you think about seeing that, that moment and seeing how Fisk assumes the mantle of EXO under what situation? And we haven't even really begun to talk about Kendra Shaw and how she wraps up into this too. That was an amazing scene, man. We see, we see Kane runs a tight ship. That was a crazy shocking scene because even though we know the brutality of Kane, we think, you know, the, the EXO, I think that's Colonel Jurgen Belzen, the original EXO, he, she, you know, he disobeys her orders. He, she asks for his sidearm, and we think she's just asking for his resignation or a demotion or whatever. And she takes it and just ends him, just shoots him right in the head at point blank range, just deads him, destroys him in the head. And then, of course, that's how the Jack Fisk character gets battle battlefield promotion, right? Very Darth Vader style, right. Admiral Piet style, Admiral. you know. <laughs> <laughs> You know, so he jumps in the driver's seat. He's at her right hand now, and that's how it happened. And again, it's just more of that de defining this Kane character and that, you know, it's really the whole philosophy is by any means necessary. She's willing to accept those casualties and those losses, even at her own hand, for victory. She's really able to, she's comfortable with the notion of sacrificing some for the cause of the, of the most or the many. And it starts right there, man. And she'll do it at her own hand. She's not fucking around, this character. And it was it's a shocking scene, even though you already know this character a little bit from season two. And then, of course, the way the Fisk character is really deeply interwoven and tied in with the Kendra Shaw character when we do find out in season two how the Pegasus comes across this civilian fleet of 15 ships and all the personnel that occupies those 15 ships and how Kane just basically takes, you know, takes the, instead of shepherding the fleet, like Adama does that civilian fleet, she goes in and takes what she needs in terms of personnel, equipment, and weapons. She basically just loots the entire fleet and leaves everyone else for dead. And now, even though we found that out in season two, now we get exactly how it happened. And that 15 people had to die at the hands of Shaw and Fisk in order to, you know, at the command of Kane, of course, in order to make that happen. It's cold. It's some cold-blooded, chilling shit. And again, it's the difference between the way Kane runs a ship and the way Adama runs a ship. But so interesting, and like you were saying earlier already too, Kyle, like the fact that Adama doesn't, you know, doesn't altogether demonize Kane's approach that there's some sort of understanding and compassion, even though that's not his way, um, is really fascinating. And also the way the protégés sort of do there, you know, with Lee being Admiral Adama's protégé and Kendra Shaw being Kane's protégé, and then the Carith Race character, again, mm -hmm. think back to season two, but also in Razor, kind of being a little bit of Adama's protégé and Kane's protégé, sort of caught in the middle, sort of an understanding of both commanders both of her superiors ways you know again remember in season two adama and kane had orders to assassinate each other 
<laughs> because they were so, you know, they knew their two styles working, to, you know, together wouldn't wouldn't work, you know. And also, how would would have affected the Thrace character, the Starbuck character, had Kane survived? Which way would she be pulled? You know, that that's another interesting question, and it really left me um, left a bigger impression for the Thrace character for me too. Of like, that's a whole another dynamic with Starbuck is like serving that serving two masters, even though the Kane thing and the, the you know, the Kane Kara thing was relatively, relatively brief, but you know, that's another interesting dimension with the way those characters sort of tie in together and the way Kendra and Kara don't really get along, even though they're very similar. And yeah, but why, it's why that. they don't get along. I think I know people like that where I'm like, well, we would be, good friends if for any other reason than or for any other purpose but that we're exactly the same so exactly the same exactly the same character I, I it's funny you brought up obviously maybe not so funny i mean it's obvious natural that you'd bring up someone like starbuck because i would argue starbuck serves many masters she's, there's even times when she's with the president she's with lee but not with sure. admiral dama she's with kane like you said so she serves many masters and i actually do see a lot of kendra and they and i think they draw this up because we don't see uh, Starbuck until a little later, really, in any like True. when they're assaulting the the ship, right? We see much more of Kendra, and so she becomes kind of the proxy for that Carol-like character. And I think they do a really nice job of introducing Kendra as we learn a little bit. Kendra Shaw doesn't belong in that post. She has some sort of nepotistic connection that got her that position. She's lost on the base star, which is or on the battle star, which is not a good look for. It'd be like being lost on a aircraft carrier or something if you're a sailor and that but also from a personality standpoint she runs into number six the gina character and they have a very cordial conversation and so it shows that she's not really this hard ass she's put into this really hard ass situation then she gets knocked out and then she is kind of saved and shepherded by kane and i think becomes a lot of what a lot kane puts a lot on her and yeah. really makes kendra hard because we were talking about what happened on the ship on the on the Scylla with Fisk and with Kendra. But what we find out is that Kendra fired the first shot too, point blank murder this woman. And it's a lot to deal with. So there's no wonder that she doesn't want to live by the end. And that brings us to kind of the more mod, let's say modern part of the story, the more modern arc, which is this idea of there being rogue centurions called guardians now this stuff is cool as hell and gets into actually we see young adama when he's husker code code uh, sure. call sign husker now there is a show later on that tries to i think it's called blood and steel that tells the story of the first cylon war but it didn't oh. get picked up but it's cool to see and it's not comic book like you know when saul and and uh, Adama meet in the bar or whatever, and they, they okay. get back together. And it, but you know, and they're like, they look like they're sixty years old. It's just like ridiculous. It's like it's supposed to be real. I'm so glad they got a guy who <laughs> looks just like him. I don't know if they're related or something, but looks great like casting. him, sounds like him. Yeah, really great. And so we see this entire aspect of what Adama knows about the Cylons that he didn't necessarily think was important, and it must be interesting for him now that we know that he had seen humanoid Cylon very early surgeries and uh, I guess uh, experimentation that it wasn't a huge surprise to him when he found out that the Cylons were 
were humanoid now, or at least some of them were. But it's cool that they believe in this Cylon legend and are fed this knowledge by Valeri, who tells them that there's a legend that there are these first Centurions and that they're out in this primitive base star and basically protect themselves at all costs and are totally separated from the new movement. In fact, these new Centurions or the, uh, these old Centurions might not even know that anything else is going on. And we find out that Husker, which is Adama's call sign, saw this happening at the end of the Cylon War. And that base star gets away. And we encounter that base star these many years later. I am a huge lore fan, as we know. And this is the kind of stuff I love. So it's cool to see the old Cylons. What did you think of the Guardians? Oh, dude. You know, again, it was such a clever way to reintroduce a proxy of the 1979 designs for the, for the Centurions, for the rate, those early Raiders, UFO like design Raiders with the pop out wings. I was so psyched. That must've been so exciting back in 2007 to see that, especially if you were aware of the original Battlestar Galactica series, such a, such a loving nod and such a cool way to incorporate that. Because of course the Centurions that we get in the actual seasons, they're much more evolved. They're much more, CG like a little bit more like you know something you would expect a modern iteration of a robotic soldier to be but to see those early designs with the droning eye and and the way they talk with the robotic voice bringing all of that back was such a treat such a shock I had no idea they were going to do that and really just cool to see that there was some sort of that these early generation first generation centurions these guardians were tasked with protect, you know, protecting this hybrid or this technology, this experiment, and that there was this connective tissue between the more primitive and robotic centurions and these modern-day numbered Cylons that we know now, these humanistic in virtually every way Cylons that were introduced to in the, in the main body of the series, by the way, of which we know of all but one by the time season three ends, so we're very, very far along. So to step back now from the end of season three and see what was going on with these things, that they're, they're still there and there's this rescue mission. And again, like you said, too, with seeing Husker, with seeing young Admiral Adama, young Adama at that point, and his origin story and how he ran into this, you know, these vile experiments done on human captives, fueling, only fueling his, his anger and his animosity and his willing willingness to get the job done and maybe that's what you know really fuels largely his his heroism you know which was really cool and then of course you know at this in the same breath just so we don't forget to mention seeing young little girl kane and what happened to her you know what did you think of the young kane arc where she's a little girl this is the exact same thing. I guess it was supposed to be, it was running side by side, running parallel with the young Husker storyline. Kane's a little younger. She's a young girl at this time. Maybe she's 14 or 15. She has a little sister. This whole thing kind of struck me a little bit like Shades of Hunger Games, right? Katniss and Primrose. Big sister, little sister thing. But there's something deeply disturbing in it, in the fact of like, this little girl, this young uh, Helena Kane, sort of abandoning, in a way, her little sister. You know, this little Lucy Kane character. 
and not having the courage to really rescue her and then sort of half hiding from these centurions that are basically taking human prisoners from the planet not you know going into the warehouse but not really hiding almost in like a come and get me sort of way a shameful way uh maybe even a suicidal way but she's a little girl and you know bringing out her pocket knife and saying come on what are you waiting for not only that but the centurion soldier this primitive seemingly primitive robot i guess knowing that this is a kid and turning and leaving her there unharmed really striking and uncomfortable and a lot of food for thought in that in that scene and maybe again after the centurion leaves kind of regaining her courage and going out and screaming for her little sister but her little sister is already apparently kidnapped and just like the realism there with the the lack of courage and the fear and not having the not having the stones or you know maybe not having the maturity to go in and save your little sister and then the regret you know again like Kendra's regret with um murdering the civilians right it's a very similar thing like that regret i guess uh, basically then returning to anger and then that fueling your desire your bloodlust your desire for retribution does that make sense to you how did that uh, that whole thing strike you no i agree i think that it was supposed to be in my opinion a foreshadow of of what sh- how she treated the Scylla and the and the ships, when she encountered them, she refused to help them. She sure. she stood yeah. she stood down, and I think the reason that there are echoes in this uh, I don't want to call it an episode, a movie, I guess, is because yeah. of the whole term, which you hear throughout the series, but you hear it a lot in this series, and then you start really hearing it. I think in the fourth season, which is all this has happened before; it all happened again. The the um the hybrid keeps saying that over and over and over again, and I think they're kind of trying to beat that into people's minds that maybe in a philosophical way there isn't much change that you are who you are that you react the way you react uh kane's bravery seems incredibly selective because what would be the brave move when she encounters those civilian ships is not to strip their light drives and make them sitting ducks the next time they're found they're done but is rather to do the hard thing, which is what Adama does over and over again by protecting the civilian fleet, because it would have been easier for them to just stash them away somewhere on a planet. They tried, you know, but so I, I think that that just plays more into the overall melancholy surrounding Kane, which is a sure really interesting character. You, you could see a lot of the f- I think this this acting is just incredible. Michelle Forbes. She's awesome. I said it one w- during season two, but I love when she's thinking about something and making a decision. She like puts her hands on the console and like puts her head down, and, like you know, like you can see like a, a physical struggle as she's thinking, and then she just makes decisions and goes forward. It has a very icy way about her, and it could have been born out of that. It's interesting that we have to look at characters of their age and understand Husker's older. Obviously, Adama's more uh, older, but. They had these experiences. It's like a person being alive during World War II and some people fought and some people were hostages and some people were left alone and some people died and some, and, and everyone has this in, interpretation of events that paints everything they do for the rest of their lives. And so, of course, this harrowing solar system-wide event that encapsulates their entire society twice will inevitably and indelibly uh, influence them. So... Yeah, I think I I liked seeing that, too. And I want to say a word about the old Cylons. It's cool to see those old designs and the old odes to them. 
But I love what it says about what the Cylons were. And there are a lot of really cool things in there. We see the old Raiders there. So we see the new Raiders and they're piloted by brains, basically. We see the the old Raiders and they're piloted by three humanoid Cylons, including a commander Cylon. There's some sort of hierarchy there, as we see, I guess, in the original show. But it says a lot about who they were and how they were fighting and how they were organized. And with the Cylon old toaster model not shooting young Kane, it shows that they're still connected to human service in some way. And it makes you wonder about the level of autonomy they have. We don't really know. And we will find out, I guess, in the plan, but we don't really know what they were thinking, how they evolved to this point, how they make decisions. They're not supposed to be sentient like that, but right. they are. They've overridden themselves. This has been going on and raging at that point when Kane is like, oh, for years it just shows a lot of interesting insight into the other side we don't see very much of the of the enemy and we certainly don't see very much of the enemy a long time ago but it's cool to see those old technologies like you said i especially love the old base star which i think is way cooler looking than the new base star it looks awesome but i wanted to ask you about this hybrid we find what i guess is the first hybrid it's male and this um Technology is clearly at the very heart of the evolution of the Cylon over those decades. And this seems to be a, a, an, a line of the evolution that was stymied and abandoned. But there's a really cool scene when they're on the ship and one of them is still alive and being dragged away by the Cylons. They stop firing and just try to take the human captive alive because they want to experiment on him. And when the captive is shot, they immediately just drop the body and start fighting back because now they're interested in very binary choice. What did you make of the hybrid and and what it says about the Cylon evolution to their current state? I love the fact that they put all, as you said, those thoughtful touches into that, you know, how the Cylons evolved and how the technology evolved, how the AIs evolved and how they had to maybe program out that sympathy or that empathy or that humanity since everything was made by human hands. So they had, they had to, you know, eventually sort of lose that, you know, lose what they were born of. That's really interesting. And again, the fact of like, yeah, this hybrid that we're seeing, this old man in the ooze, you know, the minority report bathtub that we're seeing in this movie is the forerunner for these numbered silence that we're going to get to know. And this was kind of like the first one, the first humanistic or humanoid I guess, version of this Cylon and how it's seemingly saying that these are designed, these were designed to live amongst humans, spy, fool them, manipulate, that that's the whole thing. And again, also kind of like whatever mysterious prophetic thing that they're trying to say with this character too, how it's sort of seems to be calling the future. It's saying this phrase over and over again. It seems to know what's going to happen, and sort of the mysticism involved, the apparent mysticism involved with the technology is very, as uh, to me, still mysterious. Like, I'm still looking for a lot of things to be spelled or defined in season four and how it's painting, while, while this movie is answering so many questions, it's painting more questions for things to come, which I thought was, was super clever. Not just the way it ties into the past and how it gives us a believable sort of tether to what's come before, but it's setting up questions for the season to come too. For me, at least I'm hoping 
some things that we'll get in season four and some more answers. But I love, you know, the way this kind of this they they juggle so many things in this hour and forty five minutes. It's um it's really cool. They did a really great job with it. It's some of the most impressive stuff of the of the content that we've enjoyed so far. I think it's among some of the best. And maybe it's because it answers questions about beloved characters, plus gives us one brand new character that introduces us and and who's dead by the end of the thing. Again, very Jin Erso like. And the fact that they could do that so successfully in just a very short time, just a feature length time, pretty cool. Yeah, I'm glad that you enjoyed it. I had only seen it, I think, once when it came out. So it was cool to see it again and watch it again. And yeah, this was uh, this was so much needed, I felt like, after season three. I've gotten some pushback from people that are like, people love season three. And I'm like, I don't know, man. I I appreciate that some people do. But I remember season three being very unpopular when it was out, like compared to the first two seasons. I remember that about a lot of shows, though. I remember that about Lost and and a few others that I was watching at that time. So it's and I don't and I will say that season three was not as mediocre as I remember it being. Oh, Although no, I, I really enjoyed season three. Yeah, me too. Although I, I think there's really a lot came of into its own. It's a lot of waste of time. But uh, yeah, you can, it gets a, it, go, it, it veers off into uh, they were having a little fun veering off into different things. But again, you know, kind of defining the characters for us is a lot to juggle. Sure. And, you know, with this movie, too, Kyle, I wonder if it would have been better, though, if we would have been better served to get this Razor story in between seasons two and three. Again, it wouldn't be exactly linear, but maybe it would have answered questions about Kane, the Pegasus, some of her people, exactly what happened there, and could have gave us you know, some of the backstory with Adama, with Admiral Adama, too, in between seasons two and three rather than in between seasons three and four. I wonder why they did that. It kind of left... It left us lingering with a lot of questions, especially as to Admiral Kane, for over an entire season, you know? Yeah. And maybe yeah. a little confusing where it goes in. I had to I had to watch it twice just to get make sure I was getting it again in context, you know, beat by beat, or where I was connecting the dots properly and you know, especially with not only serving a contemporary Liadama at the helm of the Pegasus timeline, but also jumping back in time gets a little confusing. You know, does that does that make sense to you? No, it do- to- totally does. I don't know what the intent was here either, because you almost feel like again, we're we're happy that we got the information, but you almost feel like at this point, oh, guess it's not going to happen. I guess we're not going to understand anything about right what it is. But it does answer these questions that I, they're they're the legacy of these of these questions being answered is dubious because most of the important people from Pegasus are dead by the time season four begins, and Pegasus itself is gone. Like anyone that was incorporated into the fleet remember there's that really great scene in the third season where they pour the salt on the ground and the tar and the on the uh base and then they like walk oh, sure. through the sand and yeah, they combine yeah, yeah. the groups so certainly there are many survivors but i i just yeah i'm a little confused by the timing too maybe it was just an idea that took a little time to get to fruition because they have to go back to a character an actress that they hadn't worked with in michelle forbes for a while i was surprised i was reading about the stephanie jacobson girl i'm like i'm like wow this girl's really pretty like striking she must have been in other things like I, I she looks familiar to me she does and but she was in like melrose place and if you i think she was actually in that terminator tv show like 10 years ago oh. but i don't think but i don't think she really acts very much i was surprised by that i'm like man she looks familiar but i don't know why that is but that is interesting i'm glad you looked into that because she does have that familiar face yeah definitely yeah but i wanted to give one last shout out if i might to a character that we haven't really brought up at all but is in this 
uh, movie, which I think is strange, but cool, is the character, the Marine, Matthias, the female Marine. Oh, sure. This, this character is cool just because we get to know her a little bit. She's always like on the phalanx of or at the phalanx of the spear, and she's always out on the mission, on the most important mission. She doesn't get a lot of shine, but she's always there. She She's referred to by name. She's got a bit of a Brienne of Tarth thing going on. Yes. For me. Not in a bad way. I know the and, character you're talking about. Okay. Right. And uh, I just wanted to give her a shout out because I think she's a neat, neat character. I like, recur- as we've said in the past, I like recurring characters, even if they're not really mentioned or talked about. Like, it's cool to see the same people on the deck. It's cool to see some of the same pilots, even if you don't hear anything from them etc 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 so i thought that that was cool too and i was finding her in this made me feel like and seeing her kind of in more as the season three went on too made me feel like the the directors or someone were like this this chick's pretty compelling you know as a a marine so yeah worth having there that continuity i always love seeing that continuity too that sort of um dedication to even keeping the background things continuous and consistent and you know it's just good for world building, and it, it it just makes everything more solid. You know, it's just a, it's just a great fit. Fa- you could tell there's such a care and a love and a craft there. You know, so that's always appreciated. TV or film, you know, doesn't matter. I agree. Yeah, you know what, man? I I gotta yeah. say one thing Please. with, you know, you turned me on to the Kane character, and you warned me about her, how much I was gonna love her, even before we met her in season two. And, you know, I find myself really fascinated with the character and compelled by learning about her. And that's why I think r- largely Razor was so cool. But I'm constantly, I think one of the fun things with her is comparing her to Adama, right? Who's her proxy, who's her sort of um, contemporary in the series. You could compare these two. They have very similar roles. Now, Adama is outranked by Kane when, when they first meet. But I love that you have these two characters and how different they are and how different their approach is, how different um, that they both command the respect of their, of their people, of their respective people. And they both sort of, um, you know, they both have loyalty. You know, they both sort of, um, they both kind of command that loyalty from their fleets, but how different their approach is. And it really struck me, like, in just saying it with a sentence, like, to Kane, obviously the fight is everything. And it seems like to Admiral Adama, survival is everything. You know, it really comes down to protecting his people. But the thing about Kane again, which really getting her texture and getting her backstory and seeing like, it's really kind of heartbreaking, like seeing she probably adopted this stance, right? And this outlook as an adolescent, you know, when this thing happened to her sister and sort of from that point forward, kind of dedicated herself to hardening her heart in order to exact revenge and get the job done, right? And you could imagine how it led to her ascension in the military and her dedication and how badly she wanted to be hit there, her tenacity. And, you know, of course, we know very well of her brutality and her viciousness and her seemingly, you know, her seeming ability to just you know, basically chalk up losses and say, okay, like the losses are going to be part of it. That's the cost of victory. That's the cost of winning. But, and we learn all that. But again, on top of that, what I really think about this character, and I want to know if you agree, is that I think she sort of decided to become this monster 
and basically put the human Helena Kane on hold. I think it's still in there. And I think the goal is really to get it back, even though she won't refer to that much because, again, she has to hold on to that, you know, that edge, that hostility, that that vengeance, that anger, whatever keeps her, you know, on the cutting edge of being good at what she does and being decisive. And that maybe one day she really wanted to get that back. You know, maybe she wanted to leave that monster up on the hill. You know, I think of like Mega Man leaving his helmet on the hill at the end. Sure. Of it, you know what I mean? Yeah. And she was going to just adopt, you know, become a human again. Even if she was going to be an old lady and she was only going to enjoy a couple of years of that, that that was going to be the thing, that she was going to get this job done. And how a lot of it maybe was, you know, you take up that part of yourself in the name of regret. You know, and maybe that all stems from what happened. That one incident that happened with, you know, not being able to save or not having the courage to save her little or try to save her little sister. And it's just, you know, it makes her a really, really compelling character. She's even more well-written than I thought she was, which, you know, this was a very well-written to begin with character. And what a payoff, man. I mean, really one of the greatest sci-fi characters I could think about right now. You know, I'll say that much. What do you think? What, what Where does the character leave you, you know? Yeah, I love what you said about because well, I think it's I think both Kane and Adama are seeking their own humanity and they're doing it in different ways. Like I think Adama sees I think in his almost he's like a Moses like character, right? And I think he well said, yeah. I think he embraces that as his way to he's warmer to his son. He has a daughter like character in Kara and a real budding romance with the president and he's able to he's almost more relaxed now than he probably was and he's trying to find his way by being good and he's had his the, the respect of those on his ship before the attacks because of he was good and i think what we learn about kane is that she also had the respect of everyone on her ship sure. because they survived their own way and it's a little bit north korean in the sense that like i said they where the news was hidden from them, they had to kind of write that in because otherwise it would have been totally unbelievable. Even if they were escaping, they would have eventually gotten some word from some transponder or something about what was going on. So they're, they were also working in ignorance and you have to kind of forgive them for that. And it could be said that maybe Kane, well, certainly Kane was also operating in ignorance. And I think it's the very difference between passivity and aggressiveness or aggression. Kane's aggressive. Adama's not. And Kane is is willing to take the losses, like you said. Adama is not. Adama wants to go back. And and by the way, you see this wear, wear off on Lee, and, and Adama notes this because Lee wants to nuke the, the, the ship when everyone's still on it. Right. So you see that that's Damn. starting to wear off on him as well. And it's Adama's staying hand that says, like, we got to wait. You can't just. This is a Kane-like maneuver to just be like, ah, fuck it. So we have people, that up. right? So we have we have people back there that we have to you know to take care of, but I think it's all in Kane. I think it's all, and we said this during the season three conversation. I think I did anyway, or season two, which was Kane's very silhouette is aggressive. It's cool, right? But she's a cool character. She's yeah, slim lines, big pistol on her leg, right? Arms behind her back, straight hair you know, pretty piercing. I don't know. I, I think that. Yeah. Streamlined and very upright. There's everything about this character. In other words, that I think aims to one 
cold conclusion. And yet I think you're right that underneath it all is, is certainly humanity. And that's why it, it, it's said in, in history, right? Like the, you know, victors write the history and that's true. And that's what Adama says to Lee or Bill says to Lee at the end when they're going through the logs and he was saying that it's all in the logs. Like everything is in the logs and he's writing and he encourages Lee to go write in the logs as well so that others can interpret their actions in the future with hopefully some eye towards fairness and understanding, which is what I think what Adama was trying to do by being softer on Kane, even though, as you said, he was, he put his own daughter like character into a position where she was going to have to kill Kane. Right. Sure. So, yeah. So it's not to say he's, a, he's like just brilliant and great always. Oh, but no. I, right. But I think that it's, it's, um, I've said in the past that I think Adama reminds me a lot of dad and he does. And, uh, he definitely Kane, does. You're right and, about that. And I've never encountered, I don't think someone like Kane. Yeah. I don't Maybe it's a more common in the military or whatever, but like just a very aggressive and fo- I'm not woman or man. I'm saying I've never met someone like that. You know, yeah. And I think it makes her a very compelling character. And I think maybe the reason they wanted to bring her back to is because it's a shame she died. Oh, it would have been a sh- it, it would have been cool for Pegasus to have survived and and for maybe those two to actually come to a head later on again or whatever. But yeah, because then you have this, un, you know, this kind of uneasy alliance. They mm-hmm. have this common enemy, but there's always kind of like this bad blood brewing or these different, you know, a different approach that one is going to have the problem with the other. You know, you're right, though. Adama is a true shepherd. But we also, over the arc of the movie and the three seasons, saw him come to his own. You're right. There's Gray There's gray there with him, too. I mean, look at the bulldog incident. You know, he, in the past, used one of his pilots as a decoy. You know, so he's gone through that whole thing, too, where now, yes, there's a constant desire with Admiral Adama to, for the moral high ground, you know, which makes him very heroic. And he's unwilling to I think sacrifice the moral high ground where the Kane character is able to say screw the moral high ground it's not about the moral high ground it's about survival it's about winning the fight it's about being a razor you know putting away putting aside your you know putting aside your hesitation putting aside your revulsion putting aside your fear and just doing whatever is required of you, becoming that thing, even if that's the most inhuman thing that you never could have imagined yourself being, that's what you need to do, then that's what you need to do. That's the very definition of a razor. That's what we all need to become to fight this relentless, murderous enemy, you know, which is, you know, it's great. And you do wish that she survived just so you could see how she would have got along with Adama, how she would have got along with Madam President, you know, how that would have worked with Zarek, with the other characters in the equation, Lee and Chief. And right. Because you could Starbuck. have you could imagine a situation where Tom and she would have been allies and there would have been a true civil war or something. You know, like, yeah, not, not that's to say a great that, point. Not to say that there's even because I like that they're softening Tom going in a fourth season where, where are, he's kind yeah. of he's not there, there to play ball, but which is cool. That was unexpected, too. But and he's not really involved enough in the third season as we complained about but i think what's yeah. interesting about moving forward to season four is that at the very least razor everything's done now the, the pegasus is gone yeah in in the story pegasus is gone no more pegasus everyone that worked on the ship is gone because we even learned about the other guys that like 
that were the commanders, like the engineer guy and everyone else. Sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. So everyone's gone. And so this, this at least kind of clears the conscience, as it were, to allow us to move forward with the characters we have and the situations we have, but with the context we need to understand that maybe Battlestar Galactica's scenario with their own six and their own, well, and, and number eight, too, with Valeria and everything is maybe just sure. not very unique. And it makes you wonder, like, wow, how else did these motherfuckers coordinate this? And the answer, I think, will be surprising when we get to post season four stuff. So, but we move into season four now. It's very exciting. Looking forward I'm ready. I am ready, my friend. If Carl. we had to leave Kane, it's sad to leave Kane. It's sad to leave some of that fleet. The Pegasus, obviously, we wanted that newer battleship, man. We wanted that power to fight the Cylons, you know? But if we have to leave them, I feel this is a very satisfying way to leave it. We got some answers. We went back to it. That was cool. That is one payoff to getting it between season three and season four, right? Like like you said, we didn't know that we were going to get any more. It was just the, just tantalizing enough to say, all right, oh, we got some cool characters, but right. we lost some good writing. But now to get you know get some definition and get things spelled out just a little more, a little more of that connecting of the dots, that was super fun. And you could do it in just an hour and 45 minutes. An easy watch, right? Definitely. Yeah, be sure, again, to keep an eye out for it. I, I'm sure it's available on a la carte services, but again, Peacock has folded it in, although I think if you search for it, it'll come up. So check it out. Yeah, good stuff, my friends. All right, Dave, as we always do, let's end this episode of Knockback with a Dad Joke. Okay, Kyle, your dad jokes, not your dad jokes, Kyle, but your dad jokes out there. This one, Kyle, comes to us from Y2Boo on Twitter. <laughs> Kyle, yeah. for knockback. Yeah. It's always nice to have a knock-knock joke. So let's do this. You ready? Let's do it. Kyle, knock-knock. Who's there? Aw. Aw who? Werewolves of London. <laughs> good song. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna Warren Zevon, right? That's Warren yes, Zevon. It's Warren Zevon, yeah. I'm gonna go. We did our favorite songs episode quite a while ago, but yeah. I'm gonna go definitely top 50 songs of all time for me. Yeah, okay. Good shit. That's too hard for me to answer. I don't know. So catchy. It is a great song. <laughs> I'm gonna say half of you go listen to that song right now, just because it's it's that good. If you know that song, you can say, now don't leave early. Don't you leave until we say you can. I mean, it's, it's basically over. You can go wherever you want. I mean, do what you got to do. Go. <laughs> don't go. Please don't go. Please don't go. <laughs> How did we cancel? That was unexpected. See, so many unexpected twists. You're <laughs> not bad. Twists and turns. All right, Dave. Well, thank you for your time, my friend. And your that was fun. Thank you all out there for your love, kindness, and support of Knockback and all things Last Stand. Remember to go to laststandmedia.shop for a merch, including new merch. We appreciate it. All made in America. And you can go to patreon.com slash media to support us there. Get early ad-free access to every episode of this show. The ability to submit questions, comments, concerns, thoughts, and ideas, etc., etc. We couldn't do it without you. We thank you. We appreciate you. We'll see you next time. Until then, goodbye. I think we could do it without them. But that's being kind. <laughs> Knockback, a retro and nostalgia podcast, is a product and trademark of Last Stand Media and Collins Last Stand LLC and is recorded from Central Virginia and the Philadelphia suburbs, USA. The show was conceived by and is produced by me, Colin Moriarty. My co-host is Dagan Moriarty. Knockback's executive producer is Dustin Furman, and the show is edited by associate producer Ben Smith. 
all of Last Stand's theme music is by Ramon Narvaez. As you know, all of Last Stand Media's shows, including Knockback, are fan-funded on Patreon at patreon.com slash laststandmedia. The following names are at the producer support level or higher on Patreon, and we're grateful for your kindness and generosity. Andrew Morgan, Stephen Nieder, Ross Marenka, Miguel A. Brewer, Morgan Ashley, Azan, Michael Vecchio, Jerome Ferreira, SLVFMA, Jorge Palmino, Daniel D'Amour, Brad Cooley, Jeremy Key, Patrick Leslie, Dave Cowell, Tom Quinn, Grayson Maxwell, Cody Woodall, Sorta Serious Gaming, Unofficial Controller Podcast, Colin Farley, Mark Arnold, Zia Parrix, Henry Groth, Joshua Rids, Relentless Rex, Troy Miller, Meyer Katz, Jordan Mittman, J.A. Zhu, Tristan Palacios, Drew Mullen, Christian R., Jad Rita, Patrick Skipper, Sweaty Mitt, Chris Kelly, Dustin Graff, Peyton Stone, Roberto, Josh Hallen Rui, Tyler Watkins, Mike Michael Buffel, Troilus True, Dan Root, Talisman, Christopher, Randall Holsey, Robbie Nauman, Nuke Dukum, Jim Bob 56, William Holbert, Josh Godfrey, Kalike Souza, Vornak, Betty Ann Moriarty, Daniel Johnson, H Trons, Jay Getter, Bjorn Campbell, Jeff Mercado, Gregory Slavinsky, Galja of Fortuna, Boots, Tyler Brown, Megadet, Poot, Gavin Newland, Saul Balcazar, Zach Parsley, Brian White, Raul Melendez, Eric Harden, Alex Bolton, Matt Martin, Kinnums, Joseph Baker, Rodney Coleman, Chris Moore, Caswell, Anti Kinnanen, Chris, Will Hernandez, Chris Galvin, Justin Gonzalez, Mason Cadillac, Ali Fritz, Derek O, Zach Allum, Kyle Hagel, Christopher, Colin Love, Daryl E. Naiman, Ryan Arkitredge, Toby Ryland, Michael S., David Bostick, Stewie108, Patrick Montgomery, Damon W., Tom Cargill, Richter86, Steve Hodge, Ian Bravo, Barrett Boswell, Christopher DeVaio, Chris Morton, Kevin Komaki, Johnny Waffles, Roto24, Jonathan Coach, Sean Mason, Josh Gravelick, Jordan Town, Brian Chan, Organic Produce, Carlos Algorit, Richard Hebert III, Miranda Grubba, Josh Yeager, Martin Beck, Gavin, Joey Andrzejczyk, Nathan R., Joe McPartland, Gary Cavallo, Christopher Moore, Jacob Bell, Dennis Usel, Eric Finkenbeiner, Lou and Ray Loper, Dylan Burns, Jason Lusky, Malachi Wall, John Schultz, David Chestnut, Anton K, Brian W. Rath, Alan Tremblay, Tyler Bello, Ryan T. Mandel, Tony Zuniga, Sean Battershall, Robbie Hensley, Alex Cabrera, Lennon Brixey, James Kinslow III, Will Caldwell, Hugo's Desk, Peter Reynolds, Anthony Vasquez, Adam Kiniston, Tyler Goodwin, William O'Carroll, Jesper Jansen, Max Cannon, Phil Crone, Throw Seven, Adam Nix, Josh McKinney, Michael Gates, Alex Gates, Ryan Robertson, Sean Chandler, Petro Rose, Lockmore, Gio Corsi, Joey Gondholiker, Gerald Pennington, Justin Wagaman, David Iacolucci, Paul Joyce, Edwin Castillo, Chad Lewis, Enrique Perez, Joshua Smallwood, Spencer Brand, Don Lee, John Cordero, Keith A. Lewis, Marius Garson Peterson, Ryan Greenwood, Tyler Harris, Matthew Perdue, Patrick Harper, Mad Mock Media, Jonathan Rice, and Casual Misfits Gaming.